And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I always come back. To the Steven Talk Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 21 of the Steven's Footy Insight Series. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Please make sure to subscribe, to tell me how you feel about the show, and to share with everyone that you know. That would be massively, massively, critically appreciated. Without any further introduction, let's get straight into the football. There was a lot that happened, like every single weekend, like there always is in the world of football. The Bundesliga, for one second. A league I don't really mention and speak about too often, and there's various reasons for that. I mean, I think the league, and what I'm about to explain is going to tell you exactly why. Because Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga. Oh my god, wow, wow, wow! I mean, that's not really a surprise. So if you guys were going... What a shock, then I don't know what to tell you because if you didn't know that, if you have if you've never if you've ever seen or you ever even heard of German football within the last ten years, there's only one team that wins that domestic league and Bayern Munich have won it again for the tenth consecutive time in a row. And I believe they're the first team in history, I believe. I don't even know how many how many competitions are being factored in into this statistic, but they're one of the first teams ever to do so, obviously. I mean, nobody wins their domestic league 10 times in a row, and it's not a feat or some sort of record that's been broken. They did so, actually, in very, very, I wouldn't say convincing fashion, not at all. I mean, they did beat the team they played against in the Der Klassiker, which is the equivalent of the El Clasico, which is basically the biggest rivalry in Germany between the two biggest clubs in Germany, which one of which is Bayern Munich, who's the team that obviously won, and Borussia Dortmund. I don't know if I'm getting the pronunciation correct. Uh, don't slander me for butchering that. I'm so sorry. But it was a really good performance in moments and in sections from the the Bavarians as they won 3-1 against a team that they continuously destroy time and time again. Every single season, it's the same thing. Dortmund, Bayern, we always know Dortmund are going to get some sort of consolation, but it's never going to be enough. And Bayern Munich are going to run out winners in comfortable, comfortable fashion as they did. Again, in this fixture. Now, on to the football now. The real stuff. Goals came from Serge Gnabry, a player who's had a bit of a mixed season, but he scored in this game. A really good goal, actually. It was an absolute belter. There's a lot of good goals that happened this match day. So, keep an eye out for all the time that I mentioned how fantastic some of these finishes were. A really good volley from Gnabry. The way he settled that and just absolutely, he got the perfect contact. You know, in football, if you guys who play soccer, you'll know, or football, if you want to call it that, you'll know when you get the perfect contact on the ball, you can feel it. And that's exactly what Gnabry did. He knew that as soon as he left his foot, golazo, 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 that was going to be a goal for sure. And then you have uh, Robert Lewandowski also scoring as well, not making the keeper, you know, looking like David Villa from back in the old bar, uh, Barca days, if you know, you know. And then uh, this was cancelled out somewhat, or the deficit was halved by Dortmund thanks to uh, a bit of a fraudulent footballer, you could say, in Emery Chan, who scored from the penalty spot and made it uh, only a one-goal game in order for them to, you know, potentially come back into the match and, and make it 2-2. But then instead it was made 3-1 thanks to Jamal Musiala, who scored a really good goal, a very good young youngster coming up the, the ranks, a very underrated player in my opinion as well. And we call him Bambi, given the way he plays. So you guys should definitely watch him because he's going to be another one of Steven's star boys to look out for in the future. Now, onto another team that's also won their league, which is Paris, boom, 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 Paris, PSG. And shout out to my boys, my friends that actually went to this game. I actually have friends of mine that I know that were actually in the game in France. 
in the stadium at the Pacte Prince watching Leo, 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 Ankara Messi, Ankara Messi, Ankara Messi, Ankara Messi, watching Lionel Messi score that absolute, again, another very good goal this weekend, just tells you exactly what's, what, what, what transpired. Uh, it was a really good goal from him, a very good finish, and just really set the tone for PSG going into the later stages of the match. I mean, maybe that tone was a bad one, because this match finished 1-1 between them and, and Lens, but PSG did, did end up winning their... Um, they didn't. How do you say this? PSG ended up retaining their title, or, or not retaining because they didn't win it back to back years, or haven't won it consecutively. But they've now taken it off Lille after having you know lost the title to Lille last season. They've now taken it back from Lille, and it's back in Paris where it rightfully belongs in the Uber Eats League. Uh, a goal from Jean from Lens was the goal that cancelled out Messi's great finish, uh, which was very well set up by Neymar, might I add. And that was the goal that made it 1-1 late in the match for, for RC Lens. Or Lens, if I'm saying that correctly. And it was a good game of football at moments. I mean, Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe were combining well, but no real you know, efficiency in front of goal except for Messi's finish, as I mentioned in this game, except for the fact that PSG have now won their 10th league t- earned title, which is tied with the second or tied, tied in the league, should I say, with uh, Saint-Étienne from the most league earned titles in league earned Uber Eats history. Not 10th in a row, like Levin, uh, like uh, Bayern Munich, who've probably won their competition, I think, at least like 30-something times now. But definitely, uh, it is the uh, the 10th time that they've won it. They've won the Bundesliga 31 times. And uh, like I said, the game against Dortmund was just the 10th in a row that they've done for the last since 2012 up until now, which is, if you think about it, is absolutely... No matter how you slice the cake, ladies and gentlemen, it is quite a accomplish, an accomplishment of feat. But we'll move on to the main league to the English League, to the Premier League, when we return. And now on to the Prem. What a league, what a season the Premier League has really, really shown us. I think this is one of the most memorable Premier League seasons we've had in years. And there's various reasons why. I mean, we don't need to get into all of them now. I will do an end-of-the-season review. That is a fact and a half. I will will make sure that that's done and we'll look over everything that's happened at the end of the season. But the match days like this one, and in, in the fashion that this match day transpired, shows you exactly why the Premier League is the most glorious league, you can say, of the last, say, six or seven years or so, for sure. And the first game I want to talk about is uh, the game between Arsenal and, I mean, Manchester United. But in reality, you know, we should really be calling them Manchester Divided. If you know, you know, man. These guys look like... Dip from different universes. One's from one's Lloyd in space. One is Planet Sheen. One is uh you know Steven Universe. One is Rick and Morty. Everybody's on a different universe. Everyone's in a different realm. Everyone's in a different dimension right now. So, and if you guys like those shows, and you know, holler at your boy. We can discuss that further as well. More than just the footy. But back to the game again. United with a really really underwhelming performance I guess you could say but they've really been underwhelming all season so this is nothing that United fans aren't accustomed to or aren't uh, not used to I think they're very familiar with seeing their team underperform and not play anywhere near the level that a team of the stature and the, the you know the importance and the significance that they have and are to the Premier League typically play Arsenal again a team who's now obviously been revived thanks to a charity FC Chelsea who obviously love to give Arsenal a victory whenever they're in a terrible run of form of course this is reignited uh, Arsenal's flame and fire and they got it again in this game and just the game overall where we could I could honestly say it could have been a draw and at the bare minimum individual mistakes are what cost ended up costing United in the end and made them cement their place outside the top four and maybe if they 
were to beat Chelsea, and if actually you could say this, if they lose against Chelsea, it's even more guaranteed that they won't get top four. And if they if they win against Chelsea, which is looking likely because Chelsea are charity FC at the end of the day, then they have a good chance of, of mounting a charge again, despite looking absolutely off it and second best in nearly every match they played this season, whether that's home or away in, against big clubs or small ones, big clubs in terms of, you know, recent success. Uh, Arsenal satisfy themselves over, you know, top four of Spurs, who we'll talk about later as well. A highly notorious player for Arsenal in Granite Xhaka was the player that put the dagger into this, into the into uh, United's uh, hearts. As Arsenal won out, run out 3-1 winners and Xhaka scoring the third goal after uh, Nuno Tavares, a player that's also extremely, extremely fraudulent, in my opinion, scoring the first goal for Arsenal. When he scores, you know Arsenal are going to win. So, I mean, that's obviously what happened. And then uh, Saka scoring a penalty, which was, again, another penalty in two weeks in a row. This one was a bit soft as well, but, I mean, it is what it is. Big football nowadays, nothing is consistent. Nothing really makes any sense, if you're being real. But Ronaldo did end up having the deficit, making it 2-1 but uh, to Arsenal still. And Ronaldo scoring a very good goal, actually. A really good pass from Nemanja Matic from deep. Looking for him and finding a player who's never going to lose form, no matter no matter how bad his teammates are and how, how unlikely they are to play for the badge and play for the cause that they should be playing for, obviously. Because they're, they're getting play, paid to play at the level that they're at and at a level that is representative of the money they're making. And Manchester United players, obviously, as I said many times, this season have definitely not done that. But uh, we'll move on. As this game, I don't have too much else to add, to be very honest with you. I thought Bruno Fernandes really quickly had a very, very poor performance. I thought he was absolutely shocking. And him missing that penalty, which has become a theme with this, you know, this jump is not working anymore. And we're seeing that more than in more than just one game this weekend. We'll get to the other game, or that also happened as well. Ha ha ha. Very funny. But Bruno Fernandes showing us exactly why this hop, skip and a jump, hop, scotch type stuff is not really it no more. And that maybe you might want to switch up the routine because, you know, you're not putting the ball in the back of the net. And that's literally all Bruno Fernandes was asked to do. And everyone was probably screaming at the team. Every fan, not even if you're a United fan, every football fan was saying, why didn't Ronaldo take it? Why didn't Ronaldo take it? And we're probably thinking, I, I mean, I said the same thing. I didn't say it with that voice. I just kind of thought, you know, I wasn't as dramatic as I made it seem just now. But I was thinking, why didn't Ronaldo take it as well? I think I thought, I thought Ronaldo should have been the one to step up. I, I, I would have had like... I wouldn't bet my life. That's a bit dangerous, obviously. You know, football is very unpredictable. But I was almost certain. I was sure Ronaldo would have scored that had he taken it. He's an excellent penalty kick kick taker. He's been known for that for his entire career. But uh, Arsenal Arsenal win. Manchester United lose. And uh, we'll move on to two teams that didn't lose and finished in a draw. A very quiet and boring draw between Leicester City and Aston Villa at the King Power Stadium. I mean, Leicester, both of these teams have really nothing to play for, at least domestically. Leicester have something to play for in the uh, Europa Conference League as they have a big game coming up against Roma later. And I mean, Roma did get destroyed by Inter in this area uh, this week, this past weekend as well. So they're going to look to bounce back and play really well against Leicester. And that's going to be a very, very interesting contest. But to the Premier League game itself now, really, really, really boring game of football. The first half had literally nothing to rave home about, nothing to write or rag home about, whatever the expression is. It was quite uneventful. Let's just say that it was not a great match of Premier League football. Not what you tell people that this is box office and you have to watch this. I tell you the opposite. You want to fall asleep, but unless there is Aston Villa. Uh, the second half much, had much more chances in the game, but even then, it still wasn't a game that was very, very you know interesting. At, at the most, both teams had... A total of uh, six. One team had. I mean, Leicester had five shots, and and Aston Villa had eleven. And I mean, in terms of big chances created, there weren't any big chances created, which tells you everything you need to know. And I mean, 
a lot of this game was very scrappy, a very Acevedo like game where a lot of free kicks are given. I don't know why Acevedo love fouling and tackling the opposition and creating fouls maybe that's a gerard tactic but it's not been working recently because aston villa have been absolutely shocking recently they have been poor like really bad they're currently sitting 15th place and i know their recent form has been terrible it has been atrocious they haven't won a game in their last five they've lost four out of the last five matches and it's the first match in four matches that they haven't lost against the leicester team who are one half fc yes yes ladies and gentlemen you know us the new nickname for them one half fc only one half do they play well in and then the next half they absolutely capitulate no capitulation in this match however they did just manage to steady the ship for 90 minutes and maintain a goalless draw which for leicester doesn't mean anything like i said because they're literally looking to win european silverware they've already won the premier league something that villa can't say i mean and that's very impressive obviously so for Leicester, this is just a write-off right off into the end of the season. During just simply getting players fit and prepared and tactically prepared for the big match against Roma on Thursday. But uh, on to the next game between Chelsea and West Ham United. This match finished one nothing to Chelsea. And it was quite an uneventful and boring game of football. Oh, why am I not surprised that the Blues of London have put on another stinker, another shocking and very, very enraging and just infuriating performance from a fan's perspective, especially in the first half. Chelsea were poor, piss poor, really, 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 really bad, like really bad, like really, really bad, like looking like 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 a team that has never seen a football before. It was really bad. And in the second half, things improved. I mean, West Ham kind of open up a bit more there weren't as defensively sound as they as they as they once were in the first half i mean they had one player who did end up getting sent off but aside from him the team was also still very good but i guess the point i'm making is that craig dawson who got sent off was an excellent defender in this match he was blocking every shot that's where he had at least like 35 blocks in his game it felt like, like at the bare minimum that's how many he had he couldn't stop blocking shots he was ridiculous but uh chelsea finally did break down the dam Jorginho, Jorginho finally, you know, I mean, he had the chance to score from the penalty spot as uh, Romelu Lukaku, Lukaku, heartbreaker Lukaku, did get a penalty for Chelsea. He won it very well. I mean, he's the reason why uh, Craig Dawson got sent off and uh, it led to a right card as the referee thought it was uh, denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity. I thought Lukaku should have taken the penalty, but just like Bruno Fernandes, Jorginho steps up and does a little stupid J jump and all of a sudden he miss he literally plays it to the keeper as if he's a defender for West Ham and is playing it back to a goalie. He was literally the easiest penalty any def- goalkeeper would ever face and would have to save. It was absolutely extremely easy to save. But anyways, Chelsea win. Really good win for the Blues in terms of, you know, picking up some form and momentum, but they were very poor on the day. And thank God Christian Pulisic, who scored the only goal of the game, was there on hand. Captain America to make it one nothing for Chelsea and send the Blues on their way to top four. On to the next game between Gabriel Jesus and Watford. I won't even name Manchester City because that's a waste of time. Jesus single-handedly beat Watford. I mean, of course, he's playing on a very good City team, but he had an excellent performance. Gabriel Jesus, he was absolutely sensational like this is like a a world-beating hero level performance where he's just he puts on a superman cape and says i'm no longer a footballer let me become you know every kid's clark kent and meaning that they look up to him and say oh the superman it's superman that's exactly what they were doing with gabriel jesus and he had a really good game he scored four goals in this match and had an assist as well and you just knew that city were always going to win this match this was never really a, a game that 
was ever going to be tightly contested. It was always going to go in City's favor, especially at home. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Manchester City beat this Watford side, not this Watford side in particular, but Watford in general, 6-0 in an FA Cup final. I've never heard that in my entire life. And if they can do that in this comp- in that competition, then they'll definitely do it in the Premier League as well. They've also beaten Watford 8 nothing at home in the past. 8 nothing at home. I think two or three years ago when they last came up to the Premier League, which, again, is just... It's so shocking. It's ridiculous, man. It really, it's it's breathtakingly bad. Not good. Breathtakingly bad. Like, <gasps> bad. Like, that's how bad it is. It's like really, really bad. And from a Watford perspective, they did get a goal from a player who I think he surely has to make a move from Watford. If he doesn't, he wants his career to end tomorrow. Because Hassan Kamara is a great left back and scored a fairly good goal for, for Watford to, again, have the deficit to make it 2-1 to City as opposed to 2 nothing. And it was a good performance from City, of course, as we expect. I mean, they played some really good football. I think they're the best team in Europe. I say this all the time. I do believe that they've reached that level now where they they are the most consistent and they play the best football and they play the most complete style that often allows them to beat anyone they play against, even if they play poorly, which is the sign of a very good team. But um, I must add as well that Rodri scored an absolute belter, a belter part two, another belter from Rodri, a really just absolutely rasp the shot into the top left-hand corner. Just a ridiculous ball. It's something you'd see in like a video game on the Xbox or like PlayStation when you're playing FIFA Street. If you know, you know. Again, a really good goal from Rodri as well. I mean, they gave Jesus the penalty as well. They wanted him to get a super hat-trick. They wanted, you know, finally Jesus. I mean, there's a big joke going around now. I mean, he's finally going to step up because he had links to going to Arsenal in the summer. And all of a sudden, he's like, you know what? Let me step up and not get sent to the to the Gunners. You know, the re- Gunners retirement home, you could say. But he actually would really suit Arsenal, in my opinion. I think he'd be a really good player there. And for Manchester City, we'll see what he does. Because for me, I think he's more important than Sterling. And you're probably going, oh, how dare you say that? Well, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Signing Jack Grealish to me was basically riding off the end of Sterling's career at Manchester City. That's clear. And I do think Jesus has more potential given his age and just given his ability. I don't think Sterling is the most technically brilliant player. I just think he gives you... An element of a game which is he's very clutch in those very, very important moments. He'll find a way to score you goals. And he's very good at making uh, incisive and intelligent runs into the box. And kind of being a late arriver and scoring, you know, in those dangerous areas in the penalty area. But aside from that, a very good performance for Manchester City. And one that, I mean, we'll definitely forget, but their fans won't. Because that was a really good game from Gabriel Jesus. And we'll move on now to the two teams with N, starting in, as the first letter of the, of the team names. Norwich versus Newcastle United. And this match finished 3-0 to the wayside Newcastle at Carabao, which is Norwich's home. And it was a good game from, from Newcastle. Obviously, 3-0 is, of course, going to It was not a flattering scoreline. Why? Oh, dust, even 3-0 is a great game. It means they played well. But, I mean, not always. We've seen some teams put in, you know, stinkers. that put in shocking performances and still win by big margins. Don't let the scoreline fool you, ladies and gentlemen. But, yes, in this game, Newcastle were definitely the better side. It was undoubtedly clear that they were by far superior to the uh, Canaries. Goals from the, from the two Brazilians. Joe Linton and Bruno, the best Bruno in the in the in the league. Wow, I'm wilding right now. The best Bruno in the Premier League, not Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Guimarães, and it was a really really good game from the two of those players. Just the way that they combined in that midfield, you can see there's a really good link up and and bond starting between the two of them. A very good understanding happening. It's just a game where Newcastle have not necessarily nothing to play for, but they have this. 
extra belief and this extra bit of quality that they didn't have earlier in the season. And that's credit to Eddie Howe. That's credit to the fans. That's credit to the change of management and ownership. All of that stuff has given them a new lease of life. They play like a different team, a team unleashed, and a team released from the shackles of of, of uh, Mike Ashley and Bruce. That's not even the Dice voice, but I brought up the Dice, but that's not even Dice. But, you know, you know Steve Bruce and company. I don't mean Vincent Company. I just mean Company. And you have like the, the whole of the old Newcastle rear guard is was there. And now that they've been able to remove the, some of the dead wood in the club, both at the board level and it's also just at the club level in terms of a player level, this has allowed them to play with a, a different style of football that lets them be a lot more dominant in matches and lets them be a lot more of a team that's going out on the front foot. I mean, they did have fifty five percent possession, which isn't that impressive given that it's it's Norwich. I mean, everyone will have more possession than literally the high school team down the street from me will have more possession than Norwich let's be honest well that's unfortunate but you get the idea good performance from Newcastle and a really good goal from both both from both Jolinton Jolinton's first I believe what a goal that was an absolute screamer mate and then the goal from Bruno Gimarish in the second half to make it 3-1 or 3-0 was really 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 well taken a beautiful dink looking like a FIFA street looking like a FIFA 06 07 you know that little chip that you can do that you know soon you hit it, the keeper can't save it because like the mechanics of the goalkeepers are not wired to save chips at from that distance. It's just a really, really good goal from Bruno Guimaraes. But when we come back, we'll be looking at the uh, the final couple of fixtures that happened in the Premier League. And then, uh, yes, we'll, we'll be covering first Brentford versus Tottenham and another London derby. And now on to Spurs, or should I say the Bees versus the Spurs. Sigh, man. Big sigh. All, all Spurs fans are probably thinking, Steven, just get over this. Get, just get this section over with, my guy. Like, we don't want to hear about the fixture. I promise you I'll keep this one brief. Brentford should, could, probably should, again, have won this game, but they didn't. Unfortunate scenes. I mean, they had two big chances, two big chances missed. Of course, one of those was the one from Ivan Tony, and the one that led up to that. I believe the header, I forget who the header was from, but one of the headers from one of the defenders that fell to the, off the post in the path of, you know, inform Ivan Tony, Brentford striker, and he missed a sitter, mate. He missed an absolute sitter, and a sitter just simply meaning an open goal you can't miss. It, it's If you miss this, it's like it's more difficult to miss the net than it was to score, and he knows it himself. His reaction after missing tells you everything you need to know about whether or not he thought this should have been a golazo for Brentford. And Brentford at home. And Brentford recently have been on a tear. Again, Charity FC, Chelsea, giving them a win. And all of a sudden, they go on a really good one of home. It happens every, with every team. You beat Chelsea, all of a sudden, you're the best team in England. And it happened with Brentford here again. And from a Spurs perspective, again, Spurs, I'll keep it short. But from a Spurs perspective, this was absolutely shh. As we say, it was a sham, a shame and a scam. The fans in the stadium were scammed and the fans at home were absolutely, they were ashamed of the club's performance. How do you go a full match, two ma- uh, two matches rather, two matches, one home, one away against teams that are nowhere near you in the table really and not register a single shot on target with Harry Kane, Harry Bane, Harry Kane, Hyunmin Son and Dejan Kulisevsky. I couldn't tell you, or Sonic as they call him, I couldn't tell you. But let's just know that Spurs have failed to get a shot. They had four shots in this game, and four of them were all off. All four of them were off target, and uh, four and five of them were blocked, and they had nine shots in total. So, I mean, basic maths. It's not like Big Shaq. <laughs> but 
a really good game from Brentford in terms of how they were able to stifle the Spurs attack. And I thought that going forward, Brentford looked very dangerous. And Spurs defended fairly well themselves. But if Brentford were a bit more clinical with their opportunities, this would have been a win for the Bees. On to the two South Coast clubs in the Premier League. A big derby. Another derby between Brighton and Hove or Brighton Munich as we call them. And Southampton. There's no nickname for them, just Southampton. And Southampton, this match finished 2-2. Good game for the, the Seagulls. A really good performance from them in moments and parts. I mean, given that they went ahead. But of course, like Leicester City, they are also one half FC or the brothers of one half FC. Maybe more like one half of a half FC because they only could play for good for half of a half or two halves of a half. So in this case, that'd be 22 plus 22, 44 minutes, which is a half. I mean, I'm confused. I'm confused myself now. That's a whole riddle. Don't, don't, don't try to unlock that. Just 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 allow it. But anyways, the game finished 2-2. Uh, really good game overall. Had a lot of goals, obviously. You know, goals make the game interesting. But as opposed to the actual quality of the match, it was a bit poor given how both defenses got unlocked far too easily, far too readily, and far too consistently in this game. But I thought the game from one player in particular... And, you know, I sh- probably shouldn't be calling him this because I know a lot of you guys are going to say, how is he like this? There's no way. There's no way. But, I mean, let's be honest. This guy scores free kicks for fun. It's become a joke. David Beckham Jr. steps up to the plate again. After Welbeck. Whoa, that was weird. After D- Dan- Danny Welbeck. That guy Welbs. Danny, yes, 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 ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Danny Welbeck has bagged. Danny Welbeck. Yep, I'm going to say one time. Danny, yes. Danny Welbeck. And Mohamed Salisu Maldini with an own goal, which made it 2-0 to Brighton. And only a couple minutes later, within the same half, David Beckham Jr., James Ward-Prowse Beckham, with a deadly free kick again. No way the keeper saved this one. Completely off puts the keeper. Keeper is flat, or, or should I say, his feet are rooted to the ground and therefore gives him no chance to make the attempted save and stop the ball from going to the back of the net and making it 2-1 at halftime. For Brighton, into the second half now, which is where Southampton really took the bat, the baton. It took on the sword and started putting the sword towards Brighton, who have been shocking at home this, this season. And if you want to get the correct statistics, Brighton currently sit in 18th position in terms of home form. If they played just home games this season, based on just the home form, they would be currently in 18th, which tells you how terrible they are at the Amex Stadium. And the second goal coming from Warp, from Prowse again. James Ward Prowse twice with a really good goal. Getting into the bottom right hand corner, you know, the keeper's right, sorry, his left, James Ward Prowse's left. It was a really good finish. The way he arrowed that into the bottom corner, a very classy finish, a very typical Ward Prowse strike where you give him too much space on the edge of the area and he's going to punish you as he did, making it 2 2. And it could have been more for Southampton as they looked a lot more dangerous and very dangerous, should I say, throughout the entirety of the match from the last, should I say? For the last 45 minutes or so. But now on to Daichi Boys. Burnley versus Wolves. Finishing one nothing for Burnley. Again, this is a huge win. Huge, huge. This has serious ramifications. Absolutely huge win for Burnley. I can't stress this enough. Any win that Burnley get from now until the end of the season is going to be massive. But to beat a Wolves team, which most teams in the Premier League... Sh- severely struggle against that that's even another say they don't even beat wolves wolves are basically impenetrable they can't be beaten as little wayne wisely said you cannot be broke you cannot break down what can't be broken that is literally wolves they can't be they can't be broken they can't be beaten 
Well, they can't be. They got beat in this case. So I don't know what I'm saying. But it's hard for them to beat them. And Burnley were able to crack the code at home at Turf Moor, where they're also, again, not the greatest at home. Burnley have struggled at home this season as well. Struggled both home and away. That's why they're in a relegation battle. Duh, Steven. But really good performance from Burnley. I have to commend them. Only scored 29 goals this season, Burnley. That tells you they're not a team that are very prolific. They don't score goals every game or many goals in every game when they do score. And for Mate Vidra to be that guy, as I call him, Piranha Boy, because simply because of he has that you know that Piranha look. I know, again, I ain't trying to disrespect, but that's just what it is. <laughs> and he scored a, again a, a very very typical Burnley goal, hitting them with the long ball and then getting it chested down and then playing it into space and behind the defenders. And Wolves who fell asleep in that moment, very very uncharacteristically done by the Wolves back line, let Mate Vidra step in and score a really good finish and make it one nothing. And because Burnley have somehow improved since getting rid of their most, you know, in most accomplished manager of the last 10 years, you could say, in John Dyche, they've gone a lot better. They look a lot more like a solid team, which is ironic to say, because I literally did in, my, in one of my more recent episodes, which you guys can go all check out and listen to after this podcast episode. I literally spoke about it for ages, explaining how I think getting rid of Sean Dyche, their old, their old manager, was a huge mistake. And look at me looking like a to- I should be making myself the fraud of the week because that was a totally fraudulent take by your boy. That was a huge fumbling of the sack of the bag. But back to the football. Again, Burnley winning. What a great result for Burnley, man. The Claret and Blue, they will be shining and singing through. This is going to be a big game for them. Oh, sorry, it was a big game for them. It will be a big result for them given the context of the season. There is only five games, six games, depending on who's playing, remaining in the, in the rest of the season. And for Burnley, they have five games remaining. And in these five games, Burnley play against Watford next. And then they play against Aston Villa, Spurs, Aston Villa again. And then Newcastle. And you look at this list, and to be very honest, they could probably win at least two or three of those games. Because most of these teams are already on the beach or already going to be relegated. Only team I'd say you should worry about is Spurs. But every other team should be a game you could look to win. And if they don't do that, we have serious issues. Because I'm expecting Burnley to stay up. I've said this many times. You guys know it's my second team. And I'm hoping they do so. But enough of my bias. Poor game from Wolves. Great game from Burnley. Let's move on when we come back to the Merseyside Dabe. And now on to the Merseyside Derby. Fraudulence at its very finest. Live Varpool. Live Varpool. Live Varpool versus Everton. Not Everpool. Or Everton. Wow, I'm, far, I'm crazy. Everton. Liverpool. Everton. Finishing 2 nothing to the Reds. Who did win the Champions League, by the way? And I will be covering that in, in uh, Friday's episode, so stay tuned for that. They didn't win the Champions League. Wow. They won their Champions League game, I meant, against Villarreal in the first leg by the same scoreline, 2 nothing. And I think there's a lot of similarities in this game that, we'll, that I will discuss in the, in the that happened in the Villarreal game later on Friday as well. But back to the game. Very good result for Liverpool. Obviously, they can get to keep a pace with league leaders and current champions in Manchester City, the citizens. And uh, again, a game where Liverpool were largely, largely poor. I'd say even in the second half, they weren't that good. They, they improved. They got they got better. And I think everything got worse because they were a bit demoralized given the shocking refereeing that we saw on display from... How do you remember the referee? I don't even remember the referee. I hope it was... I don't hope it was anybody. I want to say it was Stuart Atwell. And that tells you everything you need to know because I don't even know who that referee is. But I know, as, as they say in England, he's a mug, mate. He's a mug. And let's be honest, man, this game was 
it was won and lost in in those fine moments from the referee, which is typical football. You know, like the game is won and lost in those in those in those uh, moments. And Liverpool again, Mane could have been sent off, and and Joe Matip probably should have conceded a penalty. And people saying it's not a penalty. And Anthony Gordon, and I mean Gordon definitely did dive on the first attempt, but the second one for me is surely it's a foul because Matip gets nowhere near the ball. But anyways, man, that's football. Uh, those post fine margins are what make and break a team. And it's clear that you know the, in my opinion at least, I mean even the Premier League, the Premier League, the Twitter team for, for the Premier League literally said after Liverpool won. We're so close, almost there. Only only one more game to go, a couple games more to go. And then literally like a couple hours later, they immediately deleted that tweet, knowing that it was sending a lot of propaganda fraudulence throughout the entire uh, the Premier League world. We're thinking, how are you going to back Liverpool? Aren't you supposed to be a neutral uh, admin, like a neutral owner? But that's clear that the Premier League, you know, they got some bias. They want Liverpool to win the league. But again, different story for a different day. But uh, Liverpool win 2-0. Thanks to goals from Robertson and Divock Origi, who literally has scored six out of his 22 goals against this team in the Premier League, which is, again, a ridiculous stat. And Robertson, like I said, scoring a really good goal and just setting the tone for Liverpool from that point onwards because they looked very dangerous and threatening as soon as they opened the uh, the floodgates or they broke down the dam, the Everton dam, who were very good, I have to say. I have to give Everton credit. I think that they deserved the point at the very least. I thought they were quite convincing in many moments and many po- points in the game. I thought Richarlison had a decent game. I thought Anthony Gordon looks like quite a player. And if Everton are to get relegated, as, I, as I'm literally expecting them to do, then players like him will be, well, I mean, maybe he'll stay because he's in Everton local, but teams that are above Everton, and whether that's in the Championship or in the Premier League, will certainly be looking at him. But uh, we'll move on to the final game between Crystal Palace and Leeds United. A nil-nil fixture, but it did not feel like a nil-nil. This game was very, very evenly balanced. A game where not many, either team doesn't really have too much to play for except for pride and just simply... Just say to be able to say, yo, we beat you or we, we lost to you or whatever. I mean, nobody wants to say I lost to you, but you get the idea. Like you want to talk about the fact that you're able to win in a in a in a high stake match in the Premier League. Obviously, it's always going to be a big game in the Premier, especially against Leeds, who always give your, the opposition a game. And I'd have to give Jesse March some serious credit. I thought the way that Leeds defended this game for for a large a large majority of it, they were absolutely stellar defensively. I thought they were really good. And I thought Crystal Palace were poor in the first half. They lacked ideas. They lacked creativity. They didn't have that imagination that we often expect from the you know the talented players they have all across the pitch. We didn't really get that from them in this game. In the you know more than we did, we got less of it than we did get of it. If that makes any sense. And when we did get it, it definitely did work. The likes of Wilfred Zaha, who was a menace throughout the entire match. And I always love watching Crystal Palace play Leeds because I love seeing the Rafinha, who's a Leeds winger, who's extremely technical and skillful, versus Wilfred Zaha, who's also the exact same, but for Crystal Palace. And in this game, Zaha definitely won that battle. I mean, they didn't win the match as a team, but they, he definitely outplayed Rafinha in terms of the more influential player. And uh, he did do what he could do, wasn't enough. And as a result, Palace weren't able to win. He's one of those players where if he plays well, Palace play well, and if Palace play well, obviously they should win. That's typically how football works. Oh, simple again, simple addition. But he played had a fairly good game with Zaha. He really stood out to me, especially later on in the match. He loves to do that. He loves when the match is kind of getting a bit more uh, open and a bit more, um, uh, a bit more, a bit more expansive and less cagey and less restricted in terms of being tight and you know defensively sound from both teams. Both teams are looking to go on and score, especially when it's deadlocked for so long. It allows, uh, normally we see a product or byproduct of this is that's later on the game, legs get tired, mindset to kind of, you know, lose concentration and focus, and then Zaha can step in and do his magic and work wonders for Crystal Palace. But it didn't work. I mean, he, uh, 
with uh, Patrick Vieira looked to the bench and brought on Michael Alise, who I think is a fantastic player, and he definitely changed the game for the better as well. But it wasn't enough, and Leeds scrape away with a, a nil-nil draw, which is which is a really good result for them. I mean, Leeds continue to kind of tear away from the bottom three or bottom four, and that's all they needed to do. I mean, at one point we're saying Leeds were, I was saying that Leeds were guaranteed to get relegated, and I feel like if they had kept Marcelo Bielsa, that probably would have happened. But they made a good change at the right time, and they are definitely reaping the benefits of that change. But um, finally, one more interruption. I promise it won't be any many more. But finally, when we come back, we'll be looking at the player, the goal of the week, sorry, and the absolute massively fraudulent player, club, manager, individual, fan base of the week. Next. And now on to this week's fraud of the fraud of the fraud 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 of the fraud of the week fraud week's fraud of the week is the video assistant referee now i have mixed emotions with var because i think depending on the league and this competition and who's using it he can actually be quite useful and quite effective i have to admit but I'm getting sick and tired of every Premier League weekend we did we do this where a game is literally decided by a poor VAR, whether that's them stepping in and making a poor decision or them not stepping in, which is often the case, not stepping in and making a poor decision. Not only is the refereeing, this is what I think, not only has the refereeing on the pitch gotten worse because of VAR, because they're a lot more lax, a lot more lenient with their decisions than they used to be, but equally, when they do get involved VAR, they often, in my opinion, make things worse. The only thing I understand about this new technology coming into football is the offside uh, line, which even then, again, in my opinion, is also quite subjective. As much as people want to say, oh, it's just a line, it's obvious. If it's offside, he's offside. Yes, I agree, but I feel like there's too many discrepancies. I've seen things that have been given as offside, given as onside, and I'll post probably a video about this in the future, but definitely going to start making some visual content as well, so you guys can keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But I do think there's a lot of inconsistencies, and I was told with VR that they would eradicate the human errors, or try to eradicate most of the human errors that come with not having a video system referee. But people, a lot of people are saying that are anti-VAR were saying, why shouldn't, why don't we just... Leave it the way it is. If it's not broken, don't fix it, which I agree with. And equally, that if we had kept it the way it is, part of football is realizing that there's going to be human error and that referees are going to make mistakes. But if you have technology and you're still making mistakes, that tells you that, te- that the technology itself is it's faulty. It's not doing what it's meant to be doing, which shows you how how ineffective it can be and how and how much how dangerous and how how uh, volatile it can be, how quickly it can change a game. And I was watching the Liverpool Everton game, thinking. Depending on who the team is, they they check VAR and they give decisions for them. And if different teams, they don't do that. And for that to be the case to me is absolutely sickening. I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard teams in the Premier League where they're supporting a club that's you know lower on the table, and they probably should have gotten a decision. Again, another example would be the Everton versus Manchester City, and Rodri clearly handballing the ball. Like clearly, like it's clear as day he uses his arm to handle the ball in the box, and the referee just chooses to ignore that. Be don't look at it, and they move on, and they decide it's okay. How you manage to not give that as a penalty, I will never understand. We are even the PGMOL or whatever the the uh, referee board in England. They even de- decided and and apologized to Everton for their lack of of uh decision and you know and decisiveness with making that decision which shows you that they knew they messed up which is obviously they you know they're human they're not going to make everything perfect it's a human handling technology at, at the end of the day we're going to see mistakes but i just thought that was really really poor we saw it again with everton and liverpool i just don't know how they look the referee didn't at least check the monitor because to me that is surely something you look at and say you make your own decision on but i think 
what's happened now is when referees check the monitor, they only, especially in England, they only look to give the, the, pen, the penalty. They never look at the monitor for themselves and then say yes or no. It's always check monitor, okay, it has to be a penalty, and even if they disagree, no matter what, which I think is, again, a really weird rule. But uh, anyways, I, I'll, I'll waffle on about that forever. Again, another, another episode could be done on that as well. But uh, now on to the golasso of the week. Which is by none, none, none other than the player I just mentioned in him, you know, handling the ball in the Everton box. Or in his in his box against Everton. In Rodri. In that uh, 5-1 demolishing of, of Watford, the Hornets, at the Etihad Stadium. A really good goal from Rodri. If you haven't seen this, you have to see this. This is, again, a glorious, glorious, a truly glorious finish. Like, it, it is volleying at its best level. Like, you're looking for a tutorial on how to volley a football, how to volley... Uh, a football at the at the right speed, right level, get the right connection, get your body over, get your knee over it. All of those things, he did it perfectly. And to get this from a, a player playing in such a dis- defensive system, or sorry, should I say in defensive role in a in a system where he's asked to simply be the sweeping up guy that looks to cover and shield the back line, for him to have this in his bag and his arsenal to score goals like this, not the first time Rodri scored a screamer, by the way. He does it quite often, or once at least once every seven or eight games. It's just it's a huge threat. Not only does he do his own job well, but going forward, he offers you something as well. And I wanted to commend that. And that's why I think it should be considered as the golasso of the week. But thank you, guys. As always, you know the deal. It's been real. It's your boy, Stephen, again. Make sure to STS. Make sure to, to subscribe on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcast. That would be hugely appreciated. Make sure to tell me how you feel about the show. All my contact info will be in the description. And make sure to share with everyone that you know. Again, greatly appreciated. But uh, thank you guys for listening. I will be back before you can blink and before you can think. Maybe even take a sip of that wine and drink. I'm just wrapping now. But I hope you guys enjoy. And uh, welcome to the STS squad. If you're new, uh, please pick up a jersey. I will speak to you guys soon. Hey, everyone. Are you enjoying the content? Please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.